Frommer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Frommer. I kind of started the year with bad news, but we are going to start today's show with some very good news. And to help me with that, Mr. Good News himself, Jason Cochran, is on the line. He is the editor-in-chief of Fromers.com. He is also the author of Fromers Disney World, Universal, and Orlando. Hey, Jason, welcome back to the Fromer Travel Show. You know, that's what they said when I was born. They went, good news, a baby's here. And so I guess I'm just holding on to the title. <laughs> yeah, well, today we're going to be discussing a couple of pieces of good news, or, or really, you could even call them miracles. And the small miracle is Disney, instead of raising prices, lowered prices recently. What the heck is up with that? You know, there's you know, there's a long backstory that the Wall Street Journal and other papers have covered in like soap opera detail. But the basic gist of it, Disney, which is uh, so infamous for crazy high prices and and really tough rules lately, had a corporate coup behind the scenes. They threw out the ex CEO, of course, paid him handsomely as he left, brought in the old one that uh, had left a couple years ago to rerun things. And now things are changing wildly uh, behind the scenes at Disney. There's even, you know, there's like a backroom boardroom reshuffling of the people who want to take control of the company to put it in a new direction. And I think part of the new direction is rolling back some of these crazy fees that the, uh, the company had put in place. You know, it doesn't sound like much when I'm, when I'm about to say that Disney isn't charging for hotel parking at Walt Disney World in Florida, but it was adding $25 a day to an already high room rate. That parking fee went in in, 19, I think, 2018. And uh, it was for a lot of people on the outside said, well, Disney vacations aren't worth as much as they used to be. You don't get as much included anymore. And that was just sort of like the beginning of lots of other things that ended up happening. So the fact that Disney chose to say, nope, you can park for free now at our hotels if you're a guest there is kind of a big deal. Because it's signaling that the company knows it's making huge mistakes with its customer base, and it wants to start making things cheaper and easier. Absolutely. And and you made that clear. So is it just the parking fee that's been rolled back, or no. have there been well, other improvements too? Yeah, the parking fee is one important thing if you're staying there. Of course, if you're already spending the money to stay at Disney, it's almost like a drop in the bucket. <clears throat> but another thing it's doing is in... Uh, California parks, it's actually decreasing the price on about two months' worth of tickets in the middle of the summer. Uh, you know, they're bringing it down to one of the lowest price points that they charge at Disney in the middle of the summer. Um, so they're kind of admitting that things have gone too far. And it's very, very rare, as everybody knows, for prices to go down after they've gone back up. So that's kind of phenomenal news if you think about it. And hopefully it's a sign of, you know, more kindnesses to come as uh, as Disney sort of realigns itself and figures out what it did wrong uh, in the yeah, past few absolutely. years. Absolutely, yeah. So that's the small miracle. The bigger miracle, because it, you wrote a beautiful article about this, bringing in the history of the country today that is called Croatia. Uh, tell us about the big miracle of what's happening there. Yeah, and I don't know if, uh, if the listeners, a lot of listeners have probably been to Croatia. It's a beautiful country. Basically, picture yourself in Italy, look east, right across the water, the Adriatic Sea, which is crystal clear, is the country of Croatia, taking up that beautiful coastline. Uh, and it used to be part of Yugoslavia. 
And it's taken until this year, the beginning of this year, for it to finally be a part of the euro and part of the Schengen zone. Now, when you're part of the euro, that means if you fly into Paris and you want to go on to continue your vacation in Croatia, you won't have to change money. You'll just have the euros the entire time. That makes things sometimes a little more expensive in the short run, but so much easier and unified for a vacation. But it also means because they're in the Shenzhen zone now, you could just walk across the border as if it was a border between US states or Canadian provinces. Uh, it just it sort of eliminates once you're in the Euro zone, basically, you can walk around and travel around the European countries that are part of that Shenzhen zone. It's a, it's a treaty agreement without being checked at the border. So that makes getting to Croatia much easier. So spending in Croatia got easier, getting to Croatia got easier. It's become a part, essentially, of the Western European network. And uh, and everyone believes within Croatia that it's going to mark a major landmark in people you know, visiting more often. And one extra interesting thing has happened in Croatia in the last six months. And if you look at a map of Croatia, you'll see it goes down the coast. And then there's a small segment that another country, I think it's Bosnia and Herzegovina, pops in for a little bit of that Adriatic coast. But then the last bit of Croatia in Dalmatia continues. So there were two pieces of Croatia that were separated by a country. That's been changed. They built a bridge that loops around the other country's uh, coastline so that you can remain within Croatia when you go down to a city like Dubrovnik, which of course is one of the most beautiful cities in the world. So now it's much easier to tour within Croatia. That's eventually there was the bridge that was keeping it from joining the Schengen zone because huh. that was such a complication because you couldn't drive through this other country easily. So having that bridge uh, makes all the difference for touring Croatia on a coastal road trip, especially, which is a road trip, by the way, that I rank within the top 10 of I've ever taken. Yeah, but but the big miracle here is for anybody who remembers what was happening when the Soviet Union broke up, uh, to have Croatia so integrated with Europe is something we never would have thought was even possible uh, right. back then when, when really bad things were happening in that part of the world, right? right? If you're over 30, you'll remember the headlines of all the terrible things that were happening between Croatia and Serbia and, and that resulting from the breakup of Yugoslavia. It's uh, it's really incredible when you think of how far things have come in our lifetimes. It, you know, so there is some good news geopolitically. So I know that we always talk about things are deteriorating, and in some places they are. But in this area, you can't say that's not an improvement. That's uh, the shelling and the murders are thirty years in the past, completely forgotten. Now you can go in and out of Croatia at your whim. Yeah, absolutely. That, no, I think it's a it's it's kind of a beautiful development. It's all better. They don't come good uh, news for nothing. <laughs> good news. <laughs> we also had an article on Fromers.com about the fact that many more attractions around the world are requiring advanced reservations. Uh, I, I know this on a personal level because my, my 23-year-old daughter, being 23, lives life Everything's at the last minute. You know, she never makes advanced plans for anything. And she went to Amsterdam this summer and did not go to the Anne Frank House and did not go to the Van Gogh Museum, not because she didn't want to go. She's my daughter. She actually wanted to go to those places. She couldn't get in. You had to have advanced reservations to go. In this article on Fromers.com, there was an even more stunning example of this. The Louvre Museum in Paris is capping the number of visitors 
at a quarter less than it used to take. So if you don't have advanced reservations to the Louvre, you're probably not getting in. But once you're in, I think it'll be a much more pleasant experience, right? You used to have to crawl over people to take pictures of (laughs) of the, the masterworks of the world. Yeah, you know, this is something that museums were agitating for even before COVID hit. So it, in a weird way, it was, COVID was sort of like just get, enabled them to realize their dreams because there's a lot of things that time ticketing does. It manages crowds like we just talked about. It also helps organizations manage how much staff they need, which helps keeps their costs down, which helps them stay open. So it's an inconvenience, especially for the major tourist attractions that you figured you could just walk up to. Um, but it is super, super common, as you say now. And so especially in Western Europe and many parts of America, true. You need to check ahead of the places you want to see to make sure you don't need a reservation. Now, sometimes you can get a last-minute one. I was in uh, Amsterdam a few months ago, and I got a last-minute reservation to the Rijksmuseum, but I was shut out of the Van Gogh Museum two days ahead. So you, this hmm. is stuff you need to think about at least a week ahead, if not longer. Yeah, this is why guidebooks are useful, damn it. And speaking of guidebooks, I am currently updating my New York one, which means I've had the pleasure of dashing all around the city uh, to look at the new developments. Some of them are hilarious. I went to a hotel that told me that for the relaxation of their guests, uh, they are now infusing their mattresses with green tea. I have no idea how they infuse the mattresses with green tea. I don't know if they have the staff just pouring green tea in or whatever, but it, you know, it's so interesting to see you know, New York's at the forefront and what the developments are. Like I went to a place the other day called The Mint, which is part of a small chain of hotels that is trying to be trying to straddle the line between vacation rentals and hotels. So all of their rooms are really apartment-like. They all have kitchen facilities. They're all pretty spacious, especially for New York. And they have the craziest amenities uh, that are available for free to their guests. So not only do they have a lot of pull-out couches and places with two bedrooms so that you could maybe squeeze eight or 10 people into your hotel room, thus amortizing the cost per person. But they also have things like bowling alleys and simulator golf areas and two-story high gyms. And they have this one thing where they will shop for you before you get there in the grocery store that's on site. And it's one of the nicest grocery stores in all of New York City. It was pretty astounding. Uh, And they won't even upcharge you for that. They'll only charge you the cost of the groceries to stock your fridge so that when you get to town, you can hit the ground running. so that's been interesting on the... Yeah, it sounds uh, like, like a concierge Dave and Busters. It sounds like fun. <laughs> it is. I think it would be the perfect place. They even have like screening rooms that you can rent for free. So say you have a family reunion or a large group, you want to stay in one night, you can rent a movie and play it in this beautiful screening room with, with these lean back seats. Um, it, it's screening rooms become really big at hotels, but usually the very high end. So it's kind huh. of interesting to hear 
that it's coming in, in, in on this level and of this kind of room style. I kind of love it. I kind of love it. Well, it's a mid-range hotel. So it's not it's not the most expensive in New York, but it's not the cheapest either. It's kind of right in the middle. They've got awful art on the walls. That's that's one downside to it. Uh, the, these massive portraits of faces washed in lurid colors that are really, really spooky. The guy who was showing me around, and they never know they're showing around a travel writer. I, I lie. I say that I'm there because I'm having a family reunion. My my sister is very picky and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so he didn't know. He told me a lot of guests put sheets over these portraits because they freak them out. <laughs> okay. So a concierge, Dave and Buster's haunted house. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, also, in New York City. Yeah. I've also been going to both the new museums and the new permanent exhibits here in, in New York. So I went to the Broadway Museum. Uh, the other day, which was up and down. Uh, a lot of good things in it, a lot of things that are just transparent selfie moments, you know, uh, that, that are just there so people can take silly photographs. Uh, but one of the things they do right is they have the best gallery guards. They put an ad in Playbill which is the publication all of the would-be Broadway actors in New York City read because that's where auditions are posted. Well, that's where they put their uh, employment listings. So they got a bunch of theater geeks to be their guards, and they they trained them really well. And so the, these young Young would-be actors are totally obsessed with Broadway, obsessed with its history, and you can buttonhole them and point to something and a wonderful, very dramatic, because they're all actors, a story will come out. Uh, so it's it's a really interesting museum, and I think they've done some things very right. They kind of went back to the 18th century and looked at the very beginning of theater in the United States and then traced its development through today's Broadway. So it's all chronological, uh, but they're not shy about saying, look, this was something that was taken from vaudeville. This was something that was taken from the pantomimes. Uh, this was something that was taken from minstrel shows. Uh, and so it's a, it's a deep look at Broadway and its history with some really great artifacts, some beautiful costumes and uh, little set pieces. And then the bottom floor, they have wonderful interviews with some of the top names in Broadway about how a show gets created, what goes into creating a set, what what is behind being a wig maker, and how many thousands of dollars wigs cost. So a very interesting new museum. I actually I actually recommend it. I, 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 some of it could have been better done. I think there's too much wall text at certain places, but but some of it's quite well done. Well, and there's then, not a lot of the history of Broadway in New York City, so it's not like you have yeah, a lot of options. Right, right. No, I so so for, from that point of view, you know, if you want to do dinner and a show in the evening, this would be a really nice entree to that. And then I went to a museum that I was kind of dreading going back to. It's called uh, the Museum of Jewish Heritage, and it's all about the Holocaust. It's a very erudite, well-curated museum, but I thought, oh, do I want to relive that history? It, you know, it's such, such painful history to learn about. But 
last year, after 20 years of having the same core exhibit, they redid the whole thing and they did it in a a savvy way. I, I went through with one of the curators, a brilliant man, and he was telling me that in the course of curating for that museum, he's met a lot of Holocaust survivors and a lot of their children. Uh, there, there are very few left, obviously, because World War II was, what, 70-some-plus years ago now. But one of the children said something to him. He said, I hate the term survivor. Hmm. My family members survived because they were a fighter. And so the museum has been re-geared to look not it looks at the terrible history it looks at the at the terrible actions that were perpetrated on the jewish people on people with mental disabilities on the roma i mean there was a there were many classes of people who were targeted and systematically killed by the nazis but it also tells some of the more hopeful stories how people survived the the, the small fraction that did so it's and they also didn't want it to be death tourism so they've gotten rid of a lot of the more gruesome photos mm-hmm. um, and and artifacts. But they have some fascinating things. They have Himmler's annotated version of Mein Kampf on display. Uh, that's quite the artifact. And they have a a suitcase that's maybe the size of an of an uh, uh, iMac, uh, a, a, a small computer. Uh, that's the dimensions of it that a family of five, was able to flee, uh, I think it was Poland with and and get to safety. And and so it's it's not quite as, I don't want to say deadening, but just it is it's still a heartbreaking experience going well, through it's it. It's a concern but, that some people have with the the museums from that period is some of them are so troubling and the images are so disturbing that it keeps them from going and keeps them from learning about it. So it's nice to know that there, I mean, you, there are other institutions where everything is shown. It does sound kind of nice that this might be a place for people who want to learn about the history, but might be squeamish about what they might see. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, it, it it's very smartly done and they, they're going to have a, a new exhibit. I didn't get to see it. It hasn't quite opened up yet about what happened in Norway, where uh, Jews were very integrated in society. There wasn't as much anti-Semitism and the government warned the Jews and got the majority of them out of the country when the Nazis were going to be rounding them up and then brought them back after World War II. So that's a very positive story. It's going to be for kids, for people nine and up. Their core exhibit, they really don't want people under 13 there because it's still very, very hard to take. But but they're trying to, to find a, a better pathway into this material. I've also been eating a hell of a lot. And I've been eating in an area of New York City that I always dreaded eating in in the past, which is Midtown. But the interesting thing that's happening in New York is we've we've lost a lot of people going into the offices. So the big real estate moguls and companies are doing something, I got to say, that's very smart. They're trying to bring New Yorkers back and tourists in by getting some of the best chefs in the city to create new new restaurants in Midtown. 
And it used to be that to get a good meal, you had to go downtown or to Brooklyn. Now, some of the great chefs who made their names downtown in Brooklyn are specifically creating restaurants in Rockefeller Center. (laughs) which is so bizarre because usually the the rule in travel is if it's a gorgeous looking place, the food is going to suck. If there are great sites, it's just not going to be a good place to eat. That's being turned on its head. I went to Le Rock the other day, which is this incredibly glamorous new French restaurant in this art deco space right in the heart of Lincoln Center with, you know, floor to ceiling windows, from which you could at Christmas time see the the great tree. And the food was extraordinary. The prices were sadly akin to what you'd pay elsewhere in New York. So not great, uh, but but not too painful either. And the food was extraordinary what, with this great view in this great place. So it's been interesting. I think it's it's going to be for the betterment of tourism to New York. You're finally going to have decent places to eat before the Broadway shows and near to your near to your hotel. And the tourist experience is really changing here uh, in many ways for the better. So uh, that's been a lot of fun. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. So I have to write that all now. <laughs> anyway, well, thank you so much, Jason, for appearing on the yeah. Fromer Travel Show. I really appreciate it. Anyway, your, some of the, your, your stuff was pretty good news too, so. There's a couple yeah. of us who are full of good news today. Yeah. And on that on that note, good news to you, good news to us, good news for our listeners. Thanks again, Jason. Thank you. Before we say goodbye for this week, I just realized that I need to correct two misstatements I just made when talking to Jason. In terms of the new exhibit at the Museum of Jewish Heritage, that is called the Danish Rescue. Uh, So the uh, historic facts I was talking about occurred in Denmark, not Norway. Apologies about that. And then I also misspoke when I was talking about Le Rock, which of course is in Rockefeller Center, not in Lincoln Center. But that being said, there's a fabulous new restaurant in Lincoln Center too. It's being run by a Top Chef uh, contestant who has a background in Caribbean and African food. And so you're eating in Lincoln Center and you're eating goat patties and oxtail stew and other types of foods uh, that you you know you usually only got in much less expensive, much less high-end restaurants. Uh, so and, and it's wonderful, really terrific food. So that's a really interesting new development for Lincoln Center. And last night, I went to a fabulous, tiny, tiny restaurant, which was very affordable, again in Midtown. It was kind of squeezed into a place that would have just been like a, a coffee joint or, or just a counter service operation, but they, they kind of wedged in a lot of tables. And it was a Korean chef who came to the United States and learned really how to be in the restaurant business in New Orleans. So it's kind of a a fusion version of Korean and Creole food. So jambalayas and fried oysters and collard greens, spectacularly uh, tasty. They don't even have an alcohol license yet, a liquor license. So no no drinks with your meal. You have to bring your own bottle, but that also keeps costs low. 
And this is a restaurant that 10 years ago would have been popping up deep, deep into Brooklyn, where only the locals lived and tourists never went, or in an obscure area of the Lower East Side. So to have it in the heart of Midtown, to have this kind of experimental, really kind of thrown together place was a revelation. It it was so much fun. They play jazz music as you're eating. The food is fabulous. The chef owner is running around (laughs) very, you know, she's just a bit overwhelmed because she's been so popular, but very good hearted about it and uh, laughing all the time. And it just was a, a really wonderful place to go. I, you know, I've, I know that New York city has gotten a bad rap lately on many TV networks, but I'm really enjoying the city in many ways, enjoying it more than I have in the past, uh, just because there's been this real flowering of new businesses here, a lot closed during the pandemic. And that was tragic, but now we're seeing things pop up in their place and a new generation coming and reshaping the city, which has happened so many times before. So if you're nervous about coming to New York, don't be. The FBI still says it's the safest large city in the United States. And there's a real joie de vivre right now here. It's it's still a really, really fun place to visit. And in terms of Broadway shows, you can get tickets so much easier than you could pre-pandemic and often for a lot less money. On that note, I'm going to say goodbye for this week. I'll remind everybody that I'll be speaking at the New York Travel and Adventure Show next Saturday and Sunday. I hope you'll come and see me there. It'll be taking place at the Javits Center. And if you use the code FROMERSVIP, you get in for free. Because next week is such a crazy week because of that show and and other industry conferences in town, I am going to be taking a week off from this podcast, but I will be back the week after. So my apologies on that, but I'll see you soon and maybe I'll see you in person. So thanks again for listening. And to those who are traveling, may I wish you a hearty bon voyage. Watching K.